Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker. Through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Michael Landers, the founder of Culture Crossing, and also a speaker, consultant, coach, and author. As a child, Michael grew up in four different countries, and as an adult has worked in over 35. He helps companies around the globe improve their cross-cultural communication, leadership, and management skills. We talked about what life was like growing up as a third culture kid, the three skills needed to enter and integrate into a new culture, and why entertainment is the best way to learn. Michael, thank you so much for joining the show today. Hey, happy to be here, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. You are a man who wears many different hats. And so I want to start us off by having you share uh, what are some of those hats that you wear on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, definitely. Um, I find myself wearing a number of different hats depending on the day sometimes. So I would say if someone asks me, hey, what do you do? Um, the answer can shift, right? But some of the things I will say is, well, um, I'm a consultant. I run a consultancy. Um, I'm an author. I've written a couple of books. I'm a speaker. I do keynotes as well as uh, in-house trainings and seminars. And uh, I'm a coach. So in terms of the things that you consult on, I know your company is Culture Crossing. Give us a sense of of what Culture Crossing is all about. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about where it all came from in terms of how you built skills that have made you an effective uh, person to wear all those hats. Yeah, definitely. So uh, from the consulting perspective, yeah, culture is the thing. We really work with customers, uh, clients, organizations as a whole, communities on cultivating the desired culture, whatever that might be, right? For some people, it's just creating it from scratch, you know, from a startup, let's say. Um, For other people, it's shifting it into a desired culture that they're seeking, um, both from an individual perspective or a leader, as well as a team or a group. And the companies you work with, you touched on startups, but they also range to some of the biggest global, you know, international companies in the world, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we've definitely worked with startups who've become big, um, you know, something like Uber, let's say, and, to, and also some of the more established brands around the world in tech, you know, your Apples, your Googles of the world, as well as manufacturing, automotive. So work with pharmaceuticals, pretty much a variety of industries. Um, I would say I'm industry agnostic. And that's not just like, oh, good business. It just happens that culture tends to play across various industries. And, and you also have played across various cultures. And, and I think you have a fascinating story about how you grew up. And I think it was, what, 40 different countries or something? Well, I've been to 40 different countries. I didn't actually <laughs> grow up in 40. That would be a, tr- a very, very trying experience. Although I probably know some people who have had that. Um, but yeah, so it's been, a, it's been a challenging question to answer, Aaron, for like my life, which is, hey, Michael, where are you from? And the answer always has to depend on how much time I think the person wants to spend to listen and how much I feel like sharing in the moment. But the short answer is I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, but I grew up from three to 18 in countries throughout Latin America. 
All right. So thank you for correcting me. It wasn't 40, but what was you, <laughs> what would you say the number was that you spent any so, amount of yeah, time I, in? Well, I, I grew up in, in four different countries. And then as an adult, I've lived in other countries, you know, a handful and, and, and have traveled and worked in, you know, over 35, 40 or so at this point, I kind of lost track, but growing up from three to 18, I grew up in, in countries throughout South America to begin with. So Colombia, I lived there from the time I was three to the time I was 15, Bogota, the capital. And then I moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. My parents uh, moved the family there for a couple of years. And then uh, for my senior year in high school, I moved to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, uh, which is in the Caribbean. So three high schools, four years, three different countries, kind of a different way to grow up. Um, for those of listeners out there who are familiar with what a TCK is, it's a third culture kid. And it's a phenomenon that happens when you are from one country, in my case, the United States, but you grew up in others. So you kind of are not from the countries you grew up in yet still kind of not from the country that you were born in. And thus a third culture arises. It's kind of like a psychological phenomenon, sociological too. And then also for adults now, a lot of people are living in other countries as adults, you know, global nomads, you know, digital nomads. And so there's this phenomenon of adult third culture kids, ATCKs, where people don't necessarily feel solid in their home culture, but they're kind of comfortable in others. So someone asked me, hey, where's home? I said for years, it was the international terminal at airports. That's where I felt more, most comfortable. Look, every time <laughs> I talk to you, I learn something new and, and I have <laughs> Privileged enough to both call you a friend, but also someone I get to work with both in the, in the training and the coaching space. And so yes. in terms of, you know, you having trail broken, you know, not, not only just literally into new countries, but also into cultures and into friend groups, you know, what, what was that like for you as a, as a child to have to uh, be able to, to transition and fluidly, you know, or maybe not so fluidly adapt into new cultures every few years? Yeah, it was definitely challenging, right? Looking back on it, um, I think at a very young age, I didn't necessarily know how to process it. I just became what a lot of young kids are is just very um, accommodating to say, hey, what are the kids here are playing with a sandbox? Okay, let me go play with the sandbox. And then the kids over here don't play soccer. They play baseball at, at uh, recess. So let me switch to that. Um, and that's kind of, that was something that that stayed with me as an adult, which is uh, as I kind of, if you want to call it breaking trails, right. Establishing new patterns, establishing new pathways into either existing environments or new newly formed environments. Um, for me, observation was always key. What is happening? Right. Well, how much data can I get before I enter into this space to make my trail? Right. Um, if there's people that have gone before or variations of that um, or anything relevant or similar, I'd want to know. And then I would observe what people were doing. And for me, my way was to be accommodating and open to what other people were doing, all in service of trying to connect with people, right? And establish roots into this trail that I needed to kind of create. What did that look like as a, say, a younger or say teenage kid in terms of you know, what it actually looked like day to day. I get the concept of, of watching and understanding what yeah. works for a culture or, or, you know, what works for a friend group, but what did you actually do day to day to sort of integrate? Yeah. So I think as I got older, I was a little bit more observant of myself, right. And, and others. And, and there's one level of like trying to understand, Hey, be authentic, be true to you. Um, I don't know, moving around so much. I didn't necessarily know at that age, what that meant. 
So there's a danger and it happened of getting lost sometimes, right? Trying, trying to fit in too much. But some things that I did observe was just kind of seeing people and what they did, their hobbies, their likes, how they interacted. And I wouldn't rush to just go, oh, everybody surfs here, so I'm going to surf, right? But I did say, hey, that's interesting to me. I always wanted to try that or that looks cool. Let me try that, right? Because when you enter into any kind of space, there's always a variety. There's a spectrum of what people were doing. So I listened to what I kind of had interest in, but it maybe normally would never have been on the menu, if you will. So in Bogota, it's landlocked, no surfing. Moving to Rio de Janeiro, major surf culture. I'd never known that at all. So everyone's wearing, you know, surf gear to school and stuff. And I didn't go out and go, mom, I want to buy this. But I did get in, get into boogie boarding, right? I didn't go for the surfing. I was like, boogie boarding was my style. And uh, I dug that and got into it. And it was, it was fun. You know, I did it for years. Interesting, because I know a lot of the work that you do with companies uh, is, is really about helping people to connect, to understand themselves, to understand cultures, to, to normalize and not pathologize. And, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I thought it was, you know, a, a couple of years back, you also shared with me how you, you help people when they are moving to a new country for work and how to get them integrated, not in the, not just them, but their families in the new culture and then help them to be successful, you know, at their job in this new space. Definitely. And so when you're looking to adapt into a new culture, whether you're moving to it and you're, and as you're referring, like helping executives or younger talent, um, wives, husbands, um, children on how to be successful, it, there's, there's three main kind of skills that research has shown to kind of tap into to say, if this person has these, there's a good chance they'll be successful entering into a new culture, whatever that is. And then specific cultures might be more difficult or challenging for certain personalities or certain nationalities than others. Same thing goes with the corporate world, right? I know a lot of people who, you know, have worked for, let's say, a Google, and then they move into an Apple and that doesn't work so well, or vice versa or any others. But the three skills are really interesting because thinking back on it, those are things that helped me as a child as well and as an adult. Um, number one is, uh, tolerance for ambiguity. Can you handle more than one way of doing something? Because if you can't, and you enter in a, into things from how different people eat utensils, they use to how they communicate, it's going to be challenging. So tolerance for ambiguity, big skill to, to kind of determine if you're going to be successful. Number two is, uh, ability to fail, right? Cause guess what? When you enter into a new culture, especially a national culture, you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Things are not going to go perfectly. Life's not going to go perfectly anyway, wherever we are. But people who are uber perfectionists can sometimes make, have a very difficult challenge in moving to a new culture because they're not an expert, right? So people, oh, I hate being a tourist, but you got to be for a little bit, right? And the third one is sense of humor. Can you laugh at yourself when you are failing? Right. And those are the three things that we've seen. And so it's not that I can say, oh, that person's going to be unsuccessful moving to country X or company Y, but there are things you can see. I'm sure you've seen that with, with the people that you coach and work with too, especially that first one, I'm guessing. Right. I have 100% and, and actually all of them, but I also want to pick up on something you just talked about, which is the humor side of it, because anyone who's been lucky enough to sit in in, in one of your trainings or listen to you speak, I think immediately captures the the humorous entertainer that's in you. And, and obviously you're a wealth of, of knowledge across all these different areas, but to be able to, to speak it in a way where everybody's 
paying attention. They're laughing, they're connecting. It's, it's quite enjoyable. So uh, that's not a pitch for you, but it's uh, it, it's a definitely now a signature. Now I have to be funny, signature. man. It is a signature. And, and I don't know what, I don't know. I, if someone's like, Hey, how does that happen? You know, I don't, I don't know, Aaron, actually. Um, I'll tell you that when, what I found was when I was doing and when I'm doing trainings and seminars, I want to have fun. Right. So that's probably where it comes from. And, um, I've kind of formed this idea of entertainment. I mean, I've talked about this before where, you know, you, you're training, you're learning something, but who said it can't be entertaining as well. Right. And, and that ends up happening. And, and especially when it comes to concepts that might be a little academic, right. Or a little heavy, as you know, the, the, some of the topics that we, we, we both talk about can be a little much to process. So I've had this ability to take something that can be kind of heady, can, can be kind of deep, not make it shallow, but just make it more digestible. And humor seems to happen. Now people will go, oh, is that because humor works across cultures? You know, like uh, everything's funny across culture. And I'm like, no, right? Sarcasm does not translate well uh, across cultures. I was living in Japan and early on, I didn't recognize and didn't learn that kind of thing that sarcasm didn't tra- uh, you know, translate well. And people would be like, oh, we have another meeting later today. I'm like, oh, great. I can't wait for that one. You know, and then they're like, oh, really? Me too. I'm like, no, right? You know, oh, that's going to be great. Oh, I think so too. What? No. Oh, this is good. Oh, I think so too. No, right? Like sarcasm doesn't translate well. So, but humor, if you can make people laugh or, or find some humor in the moment of something naturally is kind of what I tend to bring. But I'm not looking like, ooh, I can be funny here, right? I think that's the other key. But, but you learn you know, what, what kind of works for you. And, and for, at the end of the day, it's just being authentic. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. Not that that was too entertaining what I just did, but there you go. No, I've seen you go for, I'll go there and uh, I'll make <laughs> sure the audience comes and finds you live. It's, it translates much better in person. <laughs> so, so look, I mean, I get this, you know, the trajectory from, you know, your younger years and, you know, you got some in the moment, real life experience, you know, yep trail breaking into different cultures and all the things you learned to set the conditions for, for then later what you studied. And, and I just want to quickly hit on, you know, yeah. what, what did you study in college that gave you sort of the, the sort of rounded out professional perspective or, or the degree in, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. And so um, I, in undergrad, I, I studied international relations and then I really find well, under, what you study in undergrad might not necessarily matter that much. You know, two weeks after graduation, I moved to Japan. I lived in Japan for several years. And as I came back to the United States, I was thinking of going to become a teacher because a lot of my family uh, had master's in education. And um, I was planning on doing that. And my mother had sent in a brochure uh, when I was in Japan of a university called Leslie University, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they had a master's in intercultural relations. And I was like, what is that? This is, this is back a little bit. So I was like, what is that? And I looked through it and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I could become, a, I could become an expert in culture, if you will, um, and help people who are working across cultures and within cultures. And so that ended up being the master's that I got. And it was interesting because the program, Aaron, was really all about oneself. It was heavily focused on understanding you um, as a starting point before helping others understand themselves you know, so very similar to kind of I'm sure, like some of the work that you've done on yourself and, and, the, and the space that you've played in, in different times of your life. But that's kind of what allowed me to have, you know, something. And then when I got into cultural consultancy, 
it was it was very nice to have for credibility. And and I still I'm sitting in my office right now and and I have I'm looking over to the left and I have my binders from Leslie still there. So it's really something that I utilize when people are like, oh, I use that every day. I do. I really use what I learned. It's it's excellent. It still holds true. And now when I went, there was only a few schools in the country that you could get a master's in that. Now there's many, many, but uh, it's kind of where it's grown. Very cool. And yes, I would say that, you know, whether it was the school psychology masters or the, you know, the, the dual credentials in counseling or, mm-hmm. you know, becoming an internationally certified coach, the work often starts with yourself and it's really yeah. hard to be, to be of service to anybody in a, in a modality if you're not pretty buttoned up. So that makes a lot of sense. So there's this other side of you, which I want to get into and, yes. uh, and, and whether it's because you have a natural penchant for entertaining in, in comedy or because you actually have a lot of experience in it, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your life as an actor and, and yes. how this all fits in. Yeah, definitely. So, so I, I was acting in plays for years since I was a really young child uh, overseas, you know, at, at these schools and my, my family was involved in that. So it was something I always liked and had some level of talent for it, I guess, but I didn't study it in, in college. And so even after grad school, right when I was finishing grad school, I was like, Hey, I always wanted to kind of try that out a little bit more. And so I chose to do that at that point, I'd finished grad school and I was like, Hey, I'm going to try this acting thing for a little bit. And that just led for, to me to kind of start to have some success as an actor um, in Boston and then in New York City. Um, in theater, I had a sketch comedy troupe for many years. So that's where the comedy came in. And then I started to kind of do, you know, little bits of movies and TVs, you know, just to make a living. And that led to me realizing, okay, if I want to really break a trail here, what is it that I, my goal is, right? My goal was not to be famous. My goal was not to be on the cover of People magazine or anything. It really was. I was very mindful. I was like, I want to make a living as an actor. That's what it was. And I didn't want to define a living as, you know, $10,000 a year. Uh, There was like a number I was like. So what I found was after doing the work in New York City in particular was uh, commercials and voiceovers were going to probably be the easiest trail to break for that goal. And so I dedicated energy and effort a couple of years to figure out how do I get that? How do I do that? And, and then I ended up doing that. Um, and in that was, you know, lots of fun stuff. Uh, I did, I did other things, you know, film and TV here too, but it's mostly voices, um, which I always had a natural tendency and talent to do accents and cartoons. And so it was great. I was able to do that at the same time as continue the, the consulting career. Um, yeah, when we talked about this, you know, prior to today's show, there's, I think yeah. this element of strategic thinking or, or, or sort of purposeful planning and what you were going to go after versus what you thought wouldn't necessarily be worth your time. And, you know, it was interesting. It seems like you, you sidestepped some of the pitfalls, like obviously everything that, you know, is worthwhile often takes more work than you'd like it to, but, but it yeah. seemed like, you know, you were thoughtful and purposeful and trying to avoid some of those holes that others fall into. Yeah. And I think purposeful planning is, is, is well said um, as a concept, right? That worked for me. And, you know, you've interviewed so many people on this cool podcast and everyone's got their own way. They break trails that they break. Right. So this is like for your listeners, it's like, Oh, what a great resource. Cause I can take a little bit from this person, a little bit from that person. So what I works for me is not going to work for everybody, but for me, the planning bit, was saying, hey, what's it gonna, t- where do I wanna get to? What are the obstacles? And for me, it was like, what's, how can I streamline the process a little bit, right? It still might take years, 
but the planning was more about getting as much data as I could around how do I get there. So acting is an interesting one because I reached that level where I had a top tier agent. I was auditioning in New York City probably five or six times a day, right? And, and I learned early on years before that the, someone, an agent told me, hey, good actors book one of, out of every 40 jobs they go out for. Okay, one out of every 40. He's like, that's what a decent person does. And that's what an agency was looking for. If I send you on 40 auditions, you book one, I'm going to love you. If you book quicker than that, you're amazing, right? And so at that point in my career, Aaron, I was probably auditioning once a week. So I did the math and I'm like, this is not good, <laughs> right? So I was like, how can I get in those rooms? And that took years and understanding of who I could meet and improving my, my own skill set until I got to that point where I was going out five or six times a day, five or six times five, 30, there you go, right? And I got to that point and was like, ah, okay. So that was an example of purposeful planning of saying, what do I need? Where do I need to get to, to achieve that goal? Um, and then figure out all the ways how to do that. And, and gathering that data or figuring out, you know, the, the numbers or the, you know, whatever it is that you needed to find in order to, to help you make a different decision. Was that easy stuff to come across? And it was just that, you know, you just spent a little bit of time looking for it, or did you have to do something else to gather it, whether it was build relationships where people would tell it to you or mm -hmm. whether you had to be, you know, some, somehow more creative in, in sourcing it? Yeah. So I think at, at the, initially it's at, it was at every opportunity I could work, you know, be with anybody who might know stuff just to ask, right. Ask good questions. Cause you never know where you're going to get your data from if you don't ask questions. Right. So that would, that was, that was an initial start to, to get that data. Um, the other thing was when acting is an example of no trail to follow really, right. Meaning if I want to be a lawyer, I, I know what I can do, right. I know that I can, you know, go get a Juris doctor and then I need to study for the bar and, and all those kind of things. And I can do that without the JD, but still there's a trail. If you want to be a teacher trail, there's really wasn't a trail for the actor. You know, you saw what people got to, but there wasn't like a all these books on, you know, here's a book on how to do a monologue, but there was very little about the business aspect of it. And that came naturally to me. So I, then I would share that with friends. So there were so many actors who were much, much better than me and are who were not successful. Meaning, you know, they were, I wouldn't call them failed actors, but they just didn't, they weren't able to make a living. And a lot of it was, had nothing to do with their talent. It had to do with their business acumen. The business of acting was huge. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, no worries. And we see that in our world as well, right? Yeah, the ability to, you know, to coach and to train, those are skill sets that, <clears throat> one second, I'm coughing up. You're good, you're good. You got a little of a clamped here. You got a little yeah. emotional. Yeah, that was really touching, Michael. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it is. It's one of those things that, you know, you can be a great coach. You can be a great trainer in front of the room and you can't sell. Right. And you can't sell from, you know, a Socratic or a customer focused place where, you know, you, you have all the skills, but it's just not going to be the thing that lands you the, the gig, or yeah. you're just thinking about it the wrong way. So that's really, it's true. That's and really and the, the flip of that too, is you might meet people who are mediocre at their job, but are uber successful because they have this great ability to market, sell, whatever it is, right? So you have both sides to it, um, I find. So, so yeah, that, that's the thing. When there's no trail in front of you, the, you know, I, for me, it was curiosity. It was the same way when I moved to different countries where I would observe, 
and learn and ask and say, oh, what's this like here? And why do you do that here? And what's cool here? And what's interesting for you here? Oh, interesting, right? Getting curious about it allowed for people to share more information. And it was a gathering of little bits of, oh, that's how you get there. And this is what you can do. But it wasn't this perfect thing, right? So it did take time. It took patience. It took curiosity. Um, it took a resilience too. I was I always told people that um, I wish I'd been an actor before I started dating until after, because I got rejected so many times as an actor, even multiple times a day where I didn't even know I was getting rejected, right? Because my agents wouldn't share with me. Um, that it then it allowed me when I went to, you know, if I was nervous to ask someone out on a date, like I had no fear after that. And I wasn't aggressive. I just was like, eh, it's okay. No worries. But when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So. There's lots of, lots of other additions. And, and I think <laughs> that, that curiosity is, is a, such a good component because I think that people are so fascinating and, and there's been more than one time in my life where people were just like, why do you talk to everybody on the street? Or why do you, are you constantly looking around? Why aren't you present? And I said, no, I'm totally present with you. I just find people so interesting. I, if I could sit on the park bench and just people watch all day as, as active and as sporty as I am, if I have nothing going on or I'm tired from my activities and I just want to sit and watch, I learned mm. so much about what's going on. I think it's like such a fascinating mm. puzzle to sort of look at people and the way they interact and go, Oh, I think that's what's about to happen. Or I bet I know what that person's feeling. And I just think if you spend the time being curious and paying attention, you can pick up a lot. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And so you've got this other side of you, another, another trailbreaker uh, in you <laughs> and another hat, and that's as an author. And yeah. I know you have a, a book that just came out um, and maybe you could share with us a little bit about what that's uh, what that's all about. Yeah, definitely. So, so I have, I have, I've written two books. One, most recent one with my colleagues, doc, uh, Dr. Tim Dukes, which is called present company. And it's about cultivating cultures of high performance in teams and organizations. That one just came out a couple months ago. And then my other book culture crossing, which is discover the key to, um, uh, kind of working globally, right. The key to unlocking global effectiveness in today's multicultural marketplace, uh, was uh, released, uh, 2017, I think. And, I don't identify as a writer, right? And I just, people say, oh, if you're, I'm like, I just don't, that's not, I don't identify as a writer. And so writing a book was no doubt challenging, right? But I took a, the same approach that I've done in Breaking Trails and other places and other times in my life, which is really doing a lot of research on what is it, how do you do it? You know, um, and I think some of the early research on was like, oh, I'm going to write a book and that's it. I won't have to work again. Not the case. Right. I mean, some people you know, are, are blessed and get to get that success level. My books have done well. They, they sell, you know, thousands and thousands of copies, but it's not like, woohoo, I'm done. Right. So that was an interesting one from the business perspective. Ah, writing a book is not going to necessarily make you money, but the process was interesting. And I researched that. And then most importantly, and you'll hear this from lots of people, which is, do you have something to say? you have something to share and can it be done in a way that um, will allow people to engage with it? Um, so. And so the way that you felt with the first book versus the second book um, similar or were there lessons learned from that first one that, that, that changed the way. And, and I'm not saying the outcome was maybe any different with the second book, but yeah. just the way you felt or the process through it. Yeah, the process was very different. Um, one writing with my colleague, you know, just th that dynamic was was an interesting new trail to break um, and worked out well. But 
more importantly, the business side, having already broke the trail once, the second time was so much easier, right? Just in terms of understanding where I could go to, who I need. Um, there's also, if you have done it once in this arena and your book does okay, it's a little bit easier to get someone to believe in you the second time. I can think we can see that in a lot of aspects of business and life. You know, you've done it once, you know, it's a little easier the second time. But the the writing the book, what might have been harder the second time, just because it was a different topic and, and collaborating. But the business side made it much easier versus the first time, which was unknown, you know. Sure. So as a man who obviously is got a long history of putting yourself in literal and figuratively different places. And, yes. you know, on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis, you could be at a big company, a small company, doing a speaking gig, doing a virtual training, yeah. uh, you know, doing a book signing, um, yeah. anything else that's been popping for you that we might not know about or that's coming up? Um, well, I'd say that the one thing that you key on is for me in terms of, I think, and I link this to success, which is, um, at least as I'm defining it, which is I thrive in diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of people, but for me personally, diversity of work. So that week that you just said, oh, you could be doing this and this. I'm like, yes, those, those, are, those are the weeks. That's what I like, right? And I learned that um, somewhat early on and I tried to fight it in what trying to like, when I was trying to build the business, say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that 30 times. And then after 10 times, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I powered through, but then when those kind of opportunities came back, I'm like, you know what? I'm good for five and then let's find somebody else. So as you're breaking that trail, this is for me, as I was breaking that trail, taking time to recognize who and who I, who I was and what, what motivated me the most, because when I could keep that space sacred, the trail broke much more evenly, right? And more fluidly, um, so. That... And now to answer your question, anything else popping? Um, you know, I'm just, I've been doing a lot of work these days on inclusion and how to cultivate cultures of inclusion, um, inclusive mindsets uh, for leaders up and down uh, the, the org and in various functions, right? And one of the things that's been kind of interesting is helping people take a look at inclusion is obviously about people first, but it's also about innovation and uh, connection, um, inclusive of creativity. So all of these kind of things um, have been, been helpful. And it's the same kind of message that I've done throughout my life and then my career, which is recognize your, how inclusive you, you are and your capability of how inclusive you could be. And then what are the obstacles to it? So if we look at the trail breaking thing, recognize where you want to go um, recognize where you could go and what are some obstacles that are in the way. Amazing. So Michael, I really appreciate your time today. And if folks want to reach out, what's the best way for them to contact you and, um, have a chit chat? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on, I got no IG. I'm, I'm not, not on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. All right. So LinkedIn's a great way to, to reach out to me. And then also feel free to reach me directly via my website, just Google culture crossing. And uh, I should come up first on there. Um, but those are two easy, easy ways to reach out to me. And uh, I'm on Twitter sometimes at culture crossing, but uh, those would be the three main areas to reach out to me. And obviously on this podcast. 
Perfect. Well, look, my friend, I appreciate your story, the time you spent with me today and all the best uh, for the rest of this year and looking forward to chatting again sometime soon. Thanks, Aaron. Continued success. Thanks for having me. The Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.